Amen. Amen. If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching us on Facebook, we're really glad you're here and watching because last week we began to look at the question, how do we find God during difficult times? It's the moment when you ask, where's God? And what we're trying to help everybody with in this series is to be able to say, if not in the middle, hopefully at the end of your trial, oh, there's God. That right in the middle of the darkest time of our lives, that if we seek him, we will see him. Do you know God wants to reveal himself to you every hour and every minute of every day? The problem is most of us aren't seeking him. We're too busy doing work and we're not seeking him. We're too busy yelling at the kids to clean their room and do their homework. We're too busy fighting as married Christian married couples and we're not talking to each other for three months, so why would we talk to God? Because of broken relationships in our earthly realm, our relationship in the heavenly realm is broken. Do you know why most people fall away from God? Is because they're always working on these relationships, but they forget to work on this one. This is the one we need to worry about. That way, I don't care what you... If you all decide tomorrow that, you know what, I just think Pastor Mark's getting some cobwebs and we need a new, fresh person in here. I'm going to be okay because I've got this right. Right? And maybe a church in North Carolina will hire me where it's going to be warmer. Let's... Was, what was it this morning? 40-something? or? Yeah. Yeah. God wants us to see him in the most difficult seasons of our lives. Not run from him, not quit church, not abandon the very people that want to help us through that, the people that can direct us back towards this relationship. We said that when life is good, we go, oh, there's God. But when life is bad, all of a sudden, we're saying, where's God? And then you go through a new chapter in your life, and you think, oh, there he is again. And then a tragedy happens, and we go, where did he go? The comforting and the frustrating news from last week that we said is all of that is normal. There's nothing wrong with you, and, this is the big one, there's nothing wrong with God. Okay? I don't know why, but that's just the way God works. There's times where you're on fire and he's really close, and you're weeping during the song service, and then there's other times where you just can't wait till the service ends so you can go back to fighting with your spouse as soon as you get home. He just feels like he's far away. Do you know I, what I... I used to struggle with, and I don't struggle with as much anymore, but I used to get in, I don't know if I'm the only one, actually I know I'm not the only one because some of you are there today. Um, I used to get in a funk. I didn't know if it was depression, sadness, sin, I didn't feel like it was sin, but I was just in a funk. Have you ever just been in a funk and you couldn't put, put your finger on the reason why? And you just, no matter what anybody said, it wasn't encouraging. They couldn't get you out of it, and you were just kind of spinning for a while. To me, that's a dangerous time because I think we open ourselves up to the lies of the enemies the most during that time. 
And I think that even though nobody can say anything to bring us out of that funk, we need to seek God during that time really hard. And then if it comes to the point where you want to sit and talk with somebody to try to help you, you can do that. But if that's you this morning, you really need to take this series to heart. God is with you in your funkiness. He is. I'm not saying don't go talk to a doctor because if it's depression, you may need something until you get out of the funk. God doesn't want you to rely on that medicine the rest of your life, but you may need it temporarily. But please seek God because what you'll discover in scriptures and what you're going to discover if you look back on your own life is that God was with you the entire time. He may have felt like he was far away, but he was there. But when you're in the middle of a where's God moment, it's frustrating, isn't it? It can be terrifying, and it can almost feel like God's picking on you. We read a scripture last week that I believe should be hanging in all of our homes. And I'm going to bounce off of what, what I prayed this morning. We read Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. And, you know, I should have capitalized uh, some words here. But it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you, and these are the words I should have capitalized, not to harm you. So then why do we think this way sometimes? Why do we think God is attacking us? Right? All right, we can go home because that's the sermon. He just gave the sermon away. Good, let's go. That's all right. Cowboys aren't on this afternoon, so uh, we can, we'll stay a little bit longer. Man, guys, we got to get this promise down. My plan for you is to prosper you, not harm you. You know, I've been talking to some people and, and some pastors lately, and can I tell you that I, even, I think I even heard it. The first time I heard it was online, and I don't remember who it was, Francis Chan or something, but somebody said, the hardest part about being a... Now, I want you to really listen to this. The hardest part about being a pastor today is that every Sunday we're trying to bring joy to Christians. I'm telling you what, there should be so much joy in this room that 15 people should have jumped up during that and started screaming. You know, we always think it's just the black churches that do that. But, man, I'm telling you, we should be excited when we preach the Word of God and we hear a promise like that. And yet everybody's just sitting there going, I don't know if I believe that, Pastor. I don't know if I remember what happened on the cross for me. My life is pretty miserable. I just need you to give me a good sermon today to get me through the next week. Bull crap. You're supposed to be walking in joy 24 hours a day because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Even if you sin, even if you sin... The price has been paid. You don't have to beat yourself up. The beating has already been taken for you. So you can go, praise God, I sinned yesterday, but I'm forgiven today. Praise God, I can't wait to go to church. I, I, I'm going to have to be quiet, though, because every time the pastor says something, I'm going to be so excited about what God says in his word that he's probably going to kick me out because I'm going to jump up and just scream and yell. Maybe I should just go in an African-American church because then I'll fit in. Because in our church, when the pastor's preaching, you can hear a pin drop. We're not allowed to talk, and we're not allowed to praise the Lord, and we're not allowed to jump up and shout and hallelujah. Amen. I don't have plans to harm you. I have plans to prosper you. Hallelujah. 
I have a plan to give you hope in a future, so why are you in a funk for 20 years? Get out of it. The funk will happen. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and guess what I'll do? I'll actually hear your voice. Now, here's something Francis Chan just, I think Abigail posted it on her Facebook page, and I watched it, and I was blown away by it when he was witnessing to some Jehovah Witnesses. Does God always hear you? No, he doesn't. Look up some scriptures, because when, you, when there is sin in your life, the Bible's very clear that he does not hear you. There are, there are other ways that he does not hear you. But when you call on me and you pray to me, and your goal is, God, I just want to work on this relationship, and I don't care what, this relationships, what these relationships are, I'm going to work on this one. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And when you do that, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I'm sorry I don't have those passages to back up my real controversial statement, but just maybe I'll post it on my Facebook today and you can listen to Francis Chan talk about it. It's pretty powerful. The point is this. All throughout Scripture, you see a pattern and I bet you've seen it in your own life. One day God is very involved in the lives of his people, but when you flip the page or go to the next chapter in the Bible, he seems to disappear, right? One day he's very active, and the next day he's nowhere to be found. So just so no one in this room thinks they're the only one, by a show of hands, how many of you ex have experienced this pattern in your own life? You see? Pretty normal, right? There's not something wrong with you. And... There's not something wrong with God. One day we feel very connected to God, and then a situation arises. We get a phone call from a doctor. We get a pink slip at work, and it feels like our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. God's absent. If you weren't here today, I encourage you to watch it on Facebook or listen to it on the website or get a CD because we read a powerful story of a where's God, there's God moment in someone else's life. Because in that story, this is what we learned. Even though it seems at times that God isn't present, it doesn't mean that he's not there. Because if we will seek him, he will allow himself to be found. You may have to work out some things in your life, but eventually he's going to reveal himself. And, and you know, conviction is one way that he reveals himself to us. Do you know when we're in sin and we walk into church and we feel like everybody's talking about us, and yet nobody even knows about the situation? That's conviction. And it's the thing that keeps people from coming to church. And it's just the Holy Spirit going, uh, 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 uh. you know, that uncomfortable poke in the ribs that your wife does sometimes when the preacher's preaching to you, and it hurts. The Holy Spirit. So I want to continue talking this morning about how sometimes when the circumstances of our lives are so painful or so confusing, that we really don't want to find God. Maybe it's something that happens that we were not expecting, and boom, I don't want God right now. I want to wallow in my misery. Yeah, because that's what it says in the Bible for Christians to do. And maybe the only reason that I would like to find him, God, is because there's a few things I'd like to get off my chest, right? Because you don't think he understands about what is going on in your life. 
So let me say up front that although all of us have had some where's God moments, some of us in this room have had some very tragic where's God moments. And the rest of us can't even imagine going through what you've gone through. Such pain and confusion that the rest of us cannot identify with you. And that's okay because you know who does? God. He can. I want to look at a passage of Scripture today that contains a principle that I hope that you will remember and that God can use to encourage you when you're in the middle of a where's God moment. Because if you're not in a where's God moment right now, you're going to be. You're heading towards one because the Bible says you are. Trouble will come, right? But first, let me share another story with you. It's going to come in three pieces, but the biggest part is in the beginning. Lane Jones tells his where's God, there's God story that he hopes will encourage some, someone today who has experienced or maybe will experience a similar situation. Last week, we read a story of someone who had cancer. Maybe you'll be able to relate to this one today more closely. I had great parents and a wonderful childhood growing up. I met my wife at the University of Georgia and was amazed that someone that beautiful, that sweet, that everything would consent to spend her life with me. About six months after being married, we bought a little house where the sun always shined through the windows. It was a fairy tale life. About two years after being married, we had our first child, a son, and two years after that, our daughter was born. And life was just great. I had a job at a church in Atlanta that a lot of people considered the best church in the city. I had a lot of friends on staff there, and I loved what I did there. I remember at a surprise birthday party that my wife threw for me when I turned 30 in March of 1990, I said to her afterwards, and sometimes this is why we're convinced that when we say something like this, God attacks us, March of 1990, you know, life just doesn't get any better than this. Two months later, I was called into my boss's office in May of 1990. It was on a Thursday, I'll never forget, at 9.05 a.m. I walked in, sat down, and he looked at me and said, Lane, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't even know what words to use, so I'm just going to have to tell you. We have to lay off 30 people, and you're one of them. Life doesn't get any better than, and then a bump. And suddenly my circumstances changed, and the life that was so perfect, and the life that was a fairy tale, hit a huge bump in the road. My boss said that we needed to go down to the chapel. The senior pastor wanted to meet with the entire staff so he could tell everyone what was sort of going on. So we all went down to the chapel. We all piled in. It was a very huge staff. We were sitting there, and we didn't know who, but that 30 out of the 150 were going to get the bad news. The senior pastor stood up, and he explained what was going on. He told everyone that 30 people had been laid off. He didn't say who, but that he wanted everyone to be praying for them. He explained that this was because of the recession of 1990. Money was tight, and the church really needed to be financially responsible and do the best they could with what they had, and so they had to have the layoff. He prayed for all of us, for the staff that was remaining and for the staff that was being laid off, and then as we were getting ready to leave, he, he, to leave, he turned to the minister of music and he said, you know what, why don't we, as we leave, sing a song? And I thought, sing a song? Okay, maybe they'll sing Blessed Assurance. Maybe they'll sing Sweet Hour of Prayer. Maybe they'll sing the 23rd Psalm. Something with a little comfort in it to make us feel better. But I'll never forget the minister of music who 
is still a friend of mine today, he stood up and said, why don't we all stand up and sing? It's amazing what praising can do. Well, it was obvious that he wasn't one of the 30, right? It's amazing what praising can do. There's a line in the song that says, I don't worry when things go wrong. Jesus fills my heart with a song. It's amazing what praising can do. And I remember, there, I remember standing there and singing and thinking, I don't necessarily want to praise right now. Because I knew that when I walked out of that chapel, I was going to have to go back to my office, close the door, pick up the phone, and call my wife, who's sitting on the floor in our little white house with the sun always shining in with our one-year-old and three-year-old. And I was about to turn her world upside down. And I was going to drag her into my circumstance, confusion and wondering what was going on. A circumstance that said that life was not going to be the same. And in that moment, I faced a decision. And I remember standing there in that surreal setting as I was singing that praise song. And I thought, God, that really is what it all comes down to, isn't it? That really is the choice that I have this morning. I can either praise you or I can blame you. But I don't really have a third option. This is the first part of Lane's story. So, let me just say, isn't that really the choice that we all face when, when it comes to a where's God moment? I can either praise you or blame you. Whether it's a job loss like Lane's situation, whether it's a huge financial loss, the loss of a marriage, maybe you got some test results that came back from the doctor that are negative or are not good, that are positive. Perhaps it's a prodigal child who has turned their back on you and the family and they're headed off into a direction that's breaking your heart and ruining their lives. Or most tragic of all, maybe it's the loss of a loved one that you loved dearly. It's in those where's God moments that we have a choice. And it's this. Am I going to allow the circumstances of my life to determine what I believe about God? Or am I going to allow God to determine what I should believe about the circumstances of my life? That's the choice. Praise or blame. Get overwhelmed by the circumstance, the funk, or praise God in the middle of it. In other words, we have two lenses that we can choose in life when we're in the middle of a where's God moment. You can either have a God lens or a circumstance lens. Uh-huh, come on now. Those are the two pairs of glasses that you get to put on or binoculars or telescope, however you want to say it. Am I going to hold up the lens of my circumstance, my confusion, my pain, and look at God through that lens? Or am I going to hold up the lens of God and look at my circumstance, confusion, and pain through Him? So listen, you're either going to have a positive experience or a negative experience when you're in a war as God moment. Because, listen, your view changes depending on which lens you choose. Your view is either going to be God is someone who is with you or God is someone who is against you. Mm -hmm. Your view will either be that your life is something that is done for you or your life is something that is done to you. Have you ever felt like your life was out of control and you weren't really making any decisions and it was just happening because you're not making any decisions? 
and it feels like a train wreck? Well, I think the answer today is start making some decisions. You know, take control back from the enemy. Not from God, but take control at least back from the enemy. Right? Life is supposed to happen for you, not to you. In other words, you can choose to see the good and bad as a thank you, Jesus moment. Thank you, Jesus. Or what are you doing to me, Jesus moment. Listen, I understand that sometimes when you say thank you, Jesus, I understand you're not going to feel like saying it. The point is you say it until you find your freedom. You just keep repeating it. See, a lot of people hate the church songs that just repeat, let it rain, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain, let it rain, open the flood. You know, three lines. Just repeat over and oh my word, when's this song going to end? Well, you're never going to get your freedom until you sing it, until the heavens open. That's what we're asking for. We're crying out for the same thing until it happens. That's one of those release songs. It's supposed to release the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I will praise you in this storm. Sing some third day. Third day? No. Casting crowns. I will praise you in this storm. The Bible is full of where's God moments. Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Abraham, you can name a ton of them. God is there and then he's gone. But let's look at today at the Apostle Peter. Peter was kind of a black and white kind of guy. In other words, he was either hot or cold. There was no middle ground for Peter. He had been a fisherman his whole life. Jesus comes along and says, I want you to throw down your nets and follow me. So Peter drops him and he's gone because there's no black and white. He's either fisherman or he's either going to be a follower of Jesus. And so he decides, I'm going to be a follower. I'm all in. This is the same guy that when Jesus said, who do people say I am? Everybody else was saying all these names. And Peter boldly proclaims, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which nobody ever said before. So God gave Peter this insight about Jesus. Peter was a there's God kind of man. Remember, this was the guy who stepped out of a boat and walked on water just because Jesus called him. That's pretty incredible. And yet, this was the guy who became so confused about the circumstances of Jesus' ministry and his kingdom that when Jesus started talking about dying, Peter was like, whoa, 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 dude. No, Lord, no, no, no. Sorry, I didn't mean to call him dude. Lord, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's not how I planned this to go. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, why did Jesus compare Peter to Satan right there? Because Peter was caught up in the circumstance. You get it? Are you listening? Don't get caught up in your circumstance. That's the trick of the enemy. Peter's also the guy who got caught into an argument with some of the other disciples about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to be the greatest? All the while, Jesus was trying to teach them about who I want everyone to be the greatest servant of all. And you're worried about who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom that you think I'm building. This is the guy who, when Jesus said in the garden, wait for me here and pray, what did he do? During the most difficult time in Jesus' ministry, Peter falls asleep. But Peter, so Peter's starting to understand, where's God? Oh, there's God. Where did he go? There he is. Oops, he's gone again. 
So we're going to look at two passages that I believe will help us to determine this question. How we choose which lens to pick up in a where's God moment. So turn with me to John chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. You can just look up on the screen if you want. It's page 1057 in the black Bibles in front of you if you didn't bring a Bible. John chapter 6, page 1057. In this chapter, we find Jesus doing some pretty tough teaching. He's teaching the people a lot of things that don't fit with their understanding and what life should be. He's challenging them with some things that they don't yet grasp. It's confusing. They don't understand the price that he's asking them to pay. They're struggling with the view of the lens that he's trying to get them to look through, and they keep looking through their own lens. I want you to listen very carefully. They're looking at Jesus through their own lens and what he's teaching instead of looking at it through God's lens. And eventually he challenges them with a decision that they have to make. Are you going to look at things the way you've always seen it? Or are you going to look at it the way I'm telling you to look at it? Your lens or my lens, you decide. And guess what? Scripture tells us that a whole bunch of his disciples took off. And they left him. They made a poor decision. And they walked away. Because he gave them that choice. So I'm guessing that the lesson there is, even though this isn't necessarily the sermon, that part of the passage, that if I don't put on the right lens, my faith may be shaken so much that I may end up walking away from Jesus not on purpose or even on purpose. Mm -hmm. This is why this is so huge. John 6, 66 through 69. Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus turns to his 12 and says, do you want to leave too? Who wants to leave? Jesus lays out the decision. What do you want to choose? The choice is yours. What will you decide? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, come on guys, we got to get this. To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter responds with, Lord, I know you say we have a choice, but come on, what choice do we really have? We have our understanding, our view, which we're allowed to choose, by the way, or we have the Son of God, the words of eternal life. There's really no choice. We're with you. Guys, we got to live by this passage right here. There's really no choice, God. I'm not abandoning you, even though I feel like you've abandoned me. I'm not going to abandon you. And in that, in that hope and in that positive attitude, you will find God. So here's Peter. There's really no choice. And yet just a few months later, in the darkest time of Jesus' ministry, Peter stood before a young servant girl, and he swore to, God, swore to God that he did not know Jesus. He denied him three times and deserted Jesus in his darkest hour. Now, I hope what we can get from that is we see Peter being a human, right? Like we all are, made of flesh, okay? It should be comforting to know that even though Peter did this, later on God used Peter to give us a passage of Scripture that contains a principle in it that gives us the key and the step of picking up the right lens. So turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. Long after Peter denied him, 
Once Peter learned from his mistakes, hello, learned from his mistakes, in 1 Peter chapter 4, as we approach the book of Revelation, remember this is a series of letters from the disciples to the local churches where they give them a lot of insight and instruction on how to live their daily lives, okay? So listen to what Peter learned in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, <laughs> he lived this. How can we choose anybody else? I don't know, Jesus. I don't know him. Because he had fear, right? He was afraid of being crucified with Jesus. You have the words of eternal life. I don't know, Jesus. Second crow. You're the Holy One, the Son of God. I don't know him. Third crow. You know what he learned? Hey, guys. Don't be surprised when a test comes on you. Don't be surprised when life throws a fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Well, I thought once I became a Christian, nothing bad would ever happen again. And Peter goes, oh, 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 oh. if you want to learn from anybody, Learn from me, because out of one side of my mouth, I was saying, how can we choose anybody but you? And out of the next mouth, I was denying you. Don't be surprised. Peter's letting us know that difficult circumstances and situations are going to be the norm if you're a Christian. That when the bottom of your life seems to be falling out, he's saying, I don't want you to be surprised. The fiery ordeals are the rule, not the exception. And for some reason, Christians are taken by surprise when things don't go exactly how they thought they would. We hit a bump in the road and we think, why is this happening to me? And Peter says, don't be surprised. Be prepared. Get your hearts and your minds set now how you're going to respond when you're in a funk. Peter is copying the words of Jesus when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And then in chapter 5, Peter tells us what our response should be. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I want, I want to break this down. Look at this verse very closely with me. This is why we don't want to just read just to read the Bible, but stop on a verse like this, because this is the principle, and break it down. Now, I broke it down in my own words, so theologically, if you go to a concordance or something, you're going to probably come back to me and say, you were wrong. But this is just me in my office going, okay, what does this mean to me? Humble yourselves. That means take off your lens. Under God's mighty hand, that means put on his lens. That he may lift you up, because his desire is to lift you above your situation. And the hardest part is in due time which means in the proper time, which means not your time, but God's time. And sometimes we, I, I'm convinced, just from my own experience, sometimes I think we go through a funk or a situation a little bit longer because he's trying to teach us something a little more deeper. Or we're not responding in the right way, and so he's still trying to get our attention. Okay? Sometimes that bump is just a one-day funk. It's like, oh, man, I had a bad day yesterday, but praise God, I feel great this morning. I'm going to attack the day, and I'm going to forget tomorrow. I'm going to look at it and see what I can learn from it, but if there's nothing there, I'm going to let it go because I have enough worries of today. I don't even have to worry about tomorrow. i got enough worries today. 
It's when you finally realize that everything that you are doing is making things worse. Now, I had these words in my notes before Angel ever said anything or prayed anything this morning. It's when you finally realize that you're not in control. Hello, women. Sign up for the group because that's what you're going to learn. You are not in control. And Peter is trying to help the believer. This is what's so frustrating about being a pastor today that I have to try to convince you of this. You should already know this. You should already be walking in this. You should be hallelujah in this and amening this. Hallelujah. I don't get in funks anymore because I have the joy of the Lord. That's what my strength is. I have bad days, but I have more good days now than I have bad days. I'm believing that there's not going to be a bad day soon, even on here as heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. I don't have to wait to go to heaven to have good days all the time. On earth as it is in heaven. Yes, even when my baby has hiccups. Peter's trying to help the believer to get this right from the beginning of your circumstance instead of waiting and being frustrated and angry for 20 years. Learn this right at the beginning. Put on the armor of God the moment you start feeling a funk coming on. And tragically, what happens when we hold up our lens is this. Not only do we get more confused and foggy about our circumstance, our lens distorts the image of God. And we start saying things about God that are complete lies from the enemy. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care for me. Else he would have had me get that 2018 car. Went up there. He's looking at your checkbook going, you can't get that 2018 car. And that's why I closed that door because I love you so much. I'm trying to save you from disaster later. But you got in there. You smelt the smell and you're hooked and you have no control over your finances. It's so funny to me how we, how we uh, yeah, I won't go into it. Cars are difficult, okay? We see other people pull into church with cars and we're like, man, I want, that. I want a car like that. The moment we smell that new leather and everything's powered and it's the car we've always dreamed of and we rush into it. And then we come to church and go, look what God blessed me with. A $500 payment that you can't afford? Don't tag God with that one. Please don't. Don't tag God with that one. Did you even pray about it? I didn't have to. The bank approved it. That was how God answered me, you know. Guilty. When we put on our lens, we get more confused and foggy about the situation we're in. And our lens distorts who God really is. So let me ask you, why do we use telescopes? Can you tell me why, why would I use a telescope? Okay, to make things look bigger and closer, all right? So have you ever tried to look through a telescope through the opposite end, the wrong end? What happens when you do that? Everything seems further and very small, right? And when you look at your circumstances this way, God seems to be far away and very small, right? Let's just call that our lens right there. That's how we look at our circumstances sometimes. And we push God further away and he seems really small. Because after all, if God were big enough, he would have stopped this. 
So when we look at our circumstances through the wrong lens, the conclusion we make is that God must be very small, a very distant God who doesn't care about me. And tragically, if we don't turn the telescope around and we look too, lo too long through the wrong lens, our situation and God become more distorted and more clouded until we have so clouded our image of God that we've cut ourselves off from the only one who can truly explain to us what's going on in our lives. You hear that? The longer you look at your situation through your lens, the more you are cutting yourself off from the only one that can truly explain what's going on. But when you look through a telescope through the proper end and humble yourselves, even though you can't explain why this is happening, but you know the one who does, you're going to see a God who is bigger and closer than you thought. When we pick up our lens, do you realize we are exalting ourselves, And we put ourselves in the position of judge and we begin to blame and condemn the people that are all around us for our situation and circumstance? When you're blaming other people for your circumstance, that means you're looking at your circumstance through your lens. Lane goes on in the, in with his story, just a little snippet here, and he said, I wanted someone to blame. I wanted to blame the senior pastor for laying me off. I wanted to blame the other staff members because they got to stay and they must have mentioned my name. I even blamed friends of mine, friends of mine that were at the church who got to keep their jobs. I wanted to blame the church members who weren't giving enough so I could keep my job. See how deep it went? I just wanted to blame somebody, he said, because life was out of control and someone had to be responsible. Some of you today have lost a marriage because you've had to have someone to blame. Some of you don't have a relationship with your children because you just have to have someone to blame. Some of you have lost friends and family because you just had to have someone to blame. And tragically, in doing so, you've built up a wall and you've cut yourself off from the very people God had in your life to bring you comfort during that situation and bring you understanding to the situation that you're in. And you've just cut them off because you just had to have someone to blame. Come on now. And the lie of your enemy in your where's God moment where it's all caving in and you don't understand what's going on. And there's just a tremendous amount of pain. The enemy wants us to think that it's the end of your story. End of story. It's over. This is it. God is small. He's distant. And he doesn't care about you. Your life is never going to move on. It's never going to get any better. So you might as well just pack it in. But God's word promises us that if we will humble ourselves if we will look at things through his perspective and allow him to do what he wants to do at the proper time, he's going to lift you out of that thing. You may have gotten yourself in, he can lift you out. And that this terrible, confusing, painful chapter of your life will come to an end. Because he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to be full of joy, dancing at work. Talking about God, bragging about God at work. He wants Christians to seem like aliens in this depressing, dark, sinful culture. He's looking for somebody to act different. Mm -hmm. You see, the, decisions, the decision that we have is, what lens will I use? 
And the choice, that choice is what will determine the end of your story. You know the story that your children and grandchildren are going to tell other people about? It all comes down to what lens you're going to look at life and your situations through. Lane goes on with his story. To make a very long story short, Tracy and I were unemployed for about two years. God gave us the grace, and I do mean God gave us the grace, to pick up his lens and allow him to guide the circumstance and allow him to explain what was going on. We ended up moving to Dallas, Texas, where I went to seminary. For those who don't know what seminary is, it's sort of a master's in God. Think about that, where he is. Where's God? Now he's taking a master's program in God. And you would think that if there is anywhere that there's a there's God moment, it would be at seminary. But seminary was some of the toughest times of our marriage. Times when we constantly had to remember to pick up God's lens and constantly remind ourselves that we can't see what he can see. But he is there and he is explaining it. And if we will listen, he will make it all clear and he will make it all work out. I was able to preserve some of those relationships at my former church, and after seminary, God made it possible for me to go back to the church that had let me go. And I had a ministry there that put me into relationships that led me to be able to be part of starting North Point Ministries with Andy Stanley. God had a bigger plan, and he had to just take him back somewhere. And we saw it as a negative setback. He saw it as a negative setback. What are you doing to me, God? Why are you punishing me? And here it was God's plan all along. I have something bigger and better for you. Think about how many times when we're younger teenagers and we freak out when somebody breaks up with us and we think the world's over, I might as well commit suicide because she doesn't love me anymore. And the whole time God's shutting a relationship down because he has something more special and better for you. It's all perspective. My view versus God's view. During the whole process, there were some incredibly difficult where's God moments where we constantly had to turn back and turn and draw back to understanding what is God up to and what is it that I need to see from his perspective as opposed to all the confusion that was going on around us. Listen, this is how he ends. It's not a one-time choice to put on God's lens. It's the rule, not the exception. That's my where's God, there's God story. So in closing, once again, we have a choice to make in our where's God moment. I'm just wording it a little bit different every time. Do I let the confusion and pain of my circumstance determine what I believe about God? Or do I take out his lens and do I allow him to comfort me and explain to me what's going on? So let's go back to 1 Peter 5 and I want to show you verse 7. If I can bend over because my back is killing me. Remember, we read this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Take off your lens. Put on my lens. I want to lift you out of your situation in my time. Cast all your anxiety. Who struggles with anxiety here? Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Why did I capitalize? Because he cares for you. Because he does. He does care for you, but you're believing the enemy. That's why you can't be on the fence post. Well, I know God cares for me, but then why did he allow this to happen? And most of the time, I think we step over here more often. 
because things aren't exactly the way I planned it. Must be God hates me. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Everybody say, he cares for me. Say it again. Say it one more time. You have to remember that. You may have to repeat that all day when you're struggling. He cares for me. He cares for me. His plan is to prosper me, not harm me. Now turn to the person to your right or left and say, he cares for you. Say it again because some of them don't believe it. One more time, a little bit louder. All right. He cares for you. Let's take out our connection cards. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. If there's anyone here today that has never asked you into their heart, Father, that they may see your need for, for their need for you today. In the name of Jesus. They may have struggled with belief up till today. They may have wrestled with whether God is real or not real, Father. But today, they just want to begin a relationship that says, I, I need somebody that cares for me all the time, 24 hours a day, and that's with me no matter what. If that's you this morning, check that box. You can say that prayer, Father, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for loving me. I want to be in your family. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. I want to begin that relationship of love with you. I want to find out what plans you have for me today. Because up to this point, I've been blaming you for everything going wrong. And I, belie I believed that you were punishing me and you were harming me because of my sin. And now I know that was a lie from the enemy. And that's what's kept me from coming to church and starting that relationship. But today I believe that you have plans for me. Not only in my earthly life, Father, but in the kingdom life. That you want to use me right now to build up your kingdom. If you've just walk, walked away from the Lord, you can renew that relationship. You don't have to say the sinner's prayer. You can just ask for forgiveness for just walking away from God. Just renew that relationship. Work on this relationship. But for most of us, if you look at box number three, it's to learn to look at my circumstances through God's lens so that I can see and know that he is there. And he's bigger and closer than I thought. Mm-hmm. Place those in the baskets on your way out. In closing, I just want to remind you, we want you to be able to tell your where's God, there's God story. So we have set up a link that you can go to our website, you can click on the where's God series, and then it'll say tell your story. Follow the directions clearly, because the first part, I don't want you to talk about there's God, just where was God in that situation. You, didn't, you felt like he wasn't around. And then in the second part, after the situation was over, you're going to talk about how when you look back at it, now you can see that God was there all the time and give the details of where you saw God in the whole situation. Okay? Someone will approve your story. They may have to call you and edit it a little bit and just get some information. Uh, we want to post your story on our website so that it can impact someone else. Okay? We encourage you to do that. Brag about your God. Father, we just ask for help. We've already said the prayer in the name of Jesus that we are no longer going to doubt whether you're with us or near or that you care. So we just ask that you would just make us bold like Peter, Father. We see his humanness. We see him struggle at times. 
but we want, what we want to do is we, we don't want to just focus on where he failed. We want to focus on what did he learn from his failure. And what he learned was don't be surprised when fiery ordeals come at you as a Christian. But humble yourself so that God can lift you out of that situation through his mighty hand and in his timing. So you may have to hold on. This funk may last a while, but you just keep praising me. You keep putting yourself into my mighty hand. and You will be fine. I'm with you. You will make it through. You're going to be okay. Be careful of the decisions that you make during that funky time. Be careful of what lens you put on and whose voice you listen to. Because you can't listen to both voices. Choose me. In the name of Jesus, I love you guys. Amen. Have a great week. Before I spoke a word Before I spoke a word You were singing took a breath, you breathed your life in me, yes you did, and you have been so, so kind to me, sing that chorus with me, and all
Your love leaves the 99 to find the one every time And your love leaves the 99 to find the one every time No matter the cost If I make my bed in hell, you're there There's nowhere we can hide The love of God chases us down Sing that bridge with me one more time There's no shadow There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me yeah, No wall There's no wall you won't Lie you won't Coming after me Sing it again No shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me No wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Sing it again, no shadow No shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me Yeah, no wall There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Come on, sing it out. Whoa. 
Ah. Uh-huh. 